0: I worked in Ireland oh, for 15, 16 years for the same company. there, selling the instruments, consumable software for Waters. That was when the Irish market was growing dramatically. You know, there was big investment in biopharma in Ireland. So all of our customers Pfizers GSK, Eli Lilly, Wyeth, Merck, Sharp and Dome—all these guys were all, you know, setting up shop in Ireland, expanding, manufacturing pharmaceuticals, and we were we were serving those guys over that. Huge.
1: Guardian Irish Business Podcast is a tour around the entrepreneurial industry here in Dublin and across the country. We have the great privilege here at Guardian of working with some of the most inspiring and influential small businesses in Ireland and the people that run them who are forming and shaping the future of many different sectors of the Irish economy. I thought it would be interesting to chat to and learn from these people which we do every day but memorialize it in a podcast, which could then be shared with our friends and clients and you, the listener. Our next guest is a man who spent his entire career in the biopharma sector as managing director and then formed his own company, which he then successfully sold in 2020, despite being in the depths of COVID. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Pepper. Andy, what brought you to Ireland? Because I know it wasn't for love. Uh, Angela is a skeleton also. Your wife? No, not true, Column. Okay. Born in the Rotunda. Family lived
0: in Rathbiel and Swords. Right. Um, but she was, I suppose, schooled and spent most of her childhood and early career in Liverpool. So we met we met in Liverpool. Okay. Married in
1: Liverpool. And then we moved to Dublin in nineteen ninety. Right. Long time ago. Yep. Right, right. And you're there you're there since. Yep. Good. Yeah, uh, you, you haven't lost the accent anyway. <laughs> uh, so Andy, take us back to the start. What was your first job in the industry? Uh, okay. So
0: as a young guy, Colin, I was uh, an apprentice lab technician um, where I was working four days a week, studying one day a week to get a degree in uh, chemistry. And I spent five years doing that. And at the end of the five years, I got the degree. And that's really where I started my career into kind of science and chromatography. So I spent the last year of that kind of apprenticeship studying chromatography and getting the expertise in around chromatography.
1: Break it to me. What's chromatography?
0: So chromatography, uh, if you did any basic chemistry in school, I suppose it's a separation science. Uh So you have a mixture of materials and chromatography separates those materials into individual components. Uh And then you use instruments, software, technology to identify them, how much of them is there. Uh So in our space, the, the pharmaceutical is a mixture of chemical compounds. We help them separate them, identify them, quantify them. And that's, that's a core part of our business.
1: So give me a very brief synopsis of your career then from, so you were in, in a lab. Yep. When did you leave a lab and what attracted you? To your-
0: yeah. So I was work, running all the instrumentation in the lab in the last year and one of the big manufacturers, um, of the instruments had a job opportunity. I was working closely with them. They came to me, approached me and said, look, we need a sales guy in the Northwest of, uh, of the UK. Are you interested? They took me in, and that was my step from the lab, the bench, as we call it, out to the commercial world. Got a job, company car. What type of age were you then? Um
1: I would have been twenty two or three. Okay. Yeah. And I presume financially that was a good move, leaving a lab type yeah. environment. Yeah. Well, I suppose the
0: attraction then was the company car and you know, sales bonuses and this kind of stuff and getting to travel
1: around. And, and dare I ask, how did you get to Ireland then? What was the, the move that brought you to Ireland?
0: Yeah, so that, that manufacturer was a company called Waters. They made the instrumentation. They were the market leaders. They had a distributor in the Irish market and they asked me to cover Ireland as part of my territory. So I was supporting the Irish distributor as well as working in the Northwest of the UK. Right. And then that Irish distributor, their business was going gangbusters in the early 90s. Right. They were growing rapidly. They needed somebody. They knew the wife was Irish. They knew we used to come over to Ireland and there was a job offer there.
1: Right, right. Was Angela working in the industry at the time herself or? Yeah, she was working. Yeah, she was working for Pepsi Cola actually in the UK. Okay. So there was a job opportunity here, perhaps, or Pepsi Cola were strong in Ireland too. There wasn't. She, we came over and we just took the, took the chance, sold up and moved. Yeah. Uh, Coming to Ireland from the UK, what did you find the major differences were?
0: Um, the major difference. Well, driving around the country was a challenge. Back in the (laughs) nineties, driving from Dublin to Cork was, or Kinsale, you know, to get to Eli Lilly in Kinsale was four and a half, five hours. So, you you know, if you're getting your first sales call in at 9.30, you were up early and on the road to get down there. And so the traveling the roads, we didn't have all the motorways. It was all the, the end roads. So, I put a, a lot of miles on the car i had a uh you know a mazda 66 diesel column you remember which was a very nice car yeah. at the time i used to drive you know 50 60 000 miles a year wow. getting around the country in every county in ireland right. you know they were i mean the main was you know galway limerick cork waterford
1: dublin that was that was the kind of ring there wasn't too much in the northwest then but um that was the loop we used to do. And Andy, in sales, and I know it's a specialized sector you were in, the biopharma sector, but did you find the lack of your social network having not gone to school or college in Ireland, did that affect you or how did you get over that?
0: Yeah, it it, uh, it didn't affect me, but it was certainly, uh, but the Irish, you know, they're friendly. They take it in. They realize this guy is always from Liverpool, young guy, you know, obviously likable, easy. I, I knew my stuff, so I wasn't coming in trying to, um, you know, show learn, off, show right. off, or anything. I knew my yeah. stuff. I knew it was solid in the in right. the technique and the products and the competition. Um, the company I worked for though was already in the market since the 80s, so their brand, the recognition, the door was there when I was ringing and knocking on the doors. I'm from AGB, boom, that they, they let you in because they rep, you know, they, they understood the company, they knew the company, so the doors were open. Um, right, you just had to push it a little bit just more. Push
1: a bit harder and very good. You know, Okay, so it was a good brand name there, and uh, recognized and reputable, so it certainly helped. Yeah, just particularly interested as in regards to that because going back thirty years, there were still weren't an awful lot of uh, English people in Ireland, and to come over, big move, say goodbye to your family and and your social network there. So.
0: Yeah, no, it was good. It was it was great. It was great to be traveling around and in, in the you know socially in the even times, the hotels and golf or wherever you're into, surfing, sailing, you could do whatever you
1: like. And, and from Waters then, what was the, ne- the next move?
0: Well, I worked in Ireland oh, for 15, 16 years for the same company there, selling the instruments, consumable software for Waters. That was when the Irish market was growing dramatically. You know, there was big investment in biopharma in Ireland. Right. So all of our customers, Pfizer, GSK, Eli Lilly, Wyeth, Merck, Sharp and Dome, all these guys were all, you know, setting up shop in Ireland, expanding, manufacturing pharmaceuticals. And we were, we were serving those guys over that.
1: Period. It's great to hear you speak of such uh, multinational large companies thirty years ago, and you were selling them. They are in Ireland that long ago, yeah. and it's testimony to, to the- well, Pfizer has been Pfizer has been in Ireland, I think, since the seventies down in Ringaskiddy. They've right. been manufacturing there, one of the early guys. Right. Yeah. Why was the industry taken off in Ireland in at that time in particular?
0: Yeah. So all the, all of the big you know top fifteen biopharma manufacturers were all. Moving into Ireland, it was it was one thing called tax incentives, you know. So they're all getting the, uh, the R co- well, and D tax. Well, R and D tax credits. The, the land, well, the land was probably cheap for them to come and set up. Sure. They could get well qualified uh, scientists out of all of the third level universities around the country. Okay. Um, speak English. Nice. Uh, they were generally coming from the US, so. The U.S. guys were happy to take in the Irish guys for employment.
1: I, I suppose there was also good incentives with Enterprise Ireland, and indeed with the IDA providing yeah. advanced factories, yeah. helping so them
0: get in. Yeah. Corporation tax, I think
1: that yeah. it was as low as ten percent maybe Correct. in the nineties. You yeah. know, so it's easy to forget that that you know the Irish government uh, put in place 30, 40 years ago some really good incentives and targeted the pharma sector. Yeah and looking back now it's been hugely successful
0: yeah, yeah. And, uh, and all the associated you know all of the, the land the builders you know all all these plants that got built are all high tech state of the art they're right. not they're not just uh, a, barn. a barn they were, yeah. you know they are state of the art right you know right. purification fermentation
1: mm. everything very good yeah excellent so so then uh, moving on to which was the, the most recent part what was the genesis of Apex Scientific?
0: Yeah, so the company they worked for in Ireland were had grown to a, quite a large size, tens of millions. And um, the owners were, were getting to retirement age ready to kind of move on. They were being approached by one of the large kind of global lab suppliers. Um, they, they needed to get a footprint in Ireland. When they see the biopharma industry growing so large and they hadn't got a presence, they needed a presence. So they came along and I helped these guys. I suppose, position the company in, and sell the company into one of these big global lab supply manufacturers. Right. So that then led to um, a number of the specialist chromatography suppliers getting a bit uncomfortable. They thought, look, we don't want to get consumed into a large global lab supply company. We're a niche player. Right. We need to stay in this niche lane and make sure that we get the focus okay. of our products yeah. and not lose focus. Cause that's what often happens with specialist high-tech products right. with big global lab suppliers. Just swallowed up. They swallowed up. They lose the focus. They're, they're more into their stack them high, sell them cheap approach rather than specialist. Okay. So those guys said, look, we're not quite comfortable with it. And that's when a couple of uh, colleagues and I, we got together, thought "Look, we can make a business plan and make a play to these, these manufacturers right. set up a niche company,
1: which was Apex Scientific to represent those companies in the Irish market. Great. And uh, by all accounts, that, that, uh, was very successful very quickly. Uh, you established a good presence in the Irish market.
0: Yeah, I suppose there was a there was a presence already. Those brands were they weren't new brands or new products. They were brands that were required by the biofarmer by industry in the Irish market. So we just had to basically set up the the people, the commercial, the infrastructure, a little bit of warehouse distribution. It was a small business in the start,
1: which is where was where we met anyway, I yeah, suppose. Well. But you say that quite casually, Andy, but, you know, there's all the ingredients of a business. But you obviously, the team in particular, yourself, uh, Eamon and Suzanne, great team to put that together and, and build it up. To- well, I suppose we'd learned
0: that from the, the company that we, the three of us worked in the same company beforehand. So we'd learned all that stuff
1: over the last 15, 16 years in that business. Right. Yeah. So so then Apex continued to thrive. Uh, what was the turning point or what did you go to sell the business or did somebody approach you?
0: No, we were approached, yeah. So a couple of years ago, we were approached, you know, a letter comes in. It was a formal letter, daddy daddy, da, da. our we are interested in your company. We've, you know, we've, we've had a look at you. We know you. We've got some, some businesses in our group that also know you. And, you know, would you like to open a, a dialogue about
1: selling your company? Right. Nice. Hmm. And, and you followed up on that and... From from that first point of contact to selling the business, roughly how long was that? Because, again, if you don't mind me reminding you, uh, this was during COVID. Was this 2020?
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was during COVID, yeah. I mean, COVID didn't really hit our business. So our Apex Scientific's business is consumables. Nice. Obviously, people are still getting sick. Babies are being born. Pharmaceutical industry is still going in Ireland. Right. They're still manufacturing drugs. So they're still consuming our supplies into the labs so we didn't really see any decline we i mean we had normal growth you know um at least market share or you know or market growth was was normal five six seven percent we were growing seven or eight nine percent so it was you know above market
1: okay very good uh having now successfully sold that business uh where you know you were managing director of it Uh, you're now in a director role but yet you have people you report to how are you finding that (laughs) yeah it's it's different
0: Uh, yeah accountability is different reporting is different yeah the financial discipline and and the controls they have in place uh, yeah it's quite different you don't have the let's say the freedom that you have as a Private business owner right. but you're very much enjoying it. It's a new challenge. Yeah, a new challenge. Yeah, new challenge, yeah. It's yeah.
1: yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, and and just to to go back and maybe what, what what did the acquirer see as Apex's USP? What did they? Was there a key thing in that, or was it the team, or the products, or the customers, or, or what in particular did they uh, where they attracted to?
0: Yeah, well, so the group Arch Sciences was a group of uh, three companies in the UK doing very similar things to us. Uh, they'd got no. Irish footprint, Um, I suppose they'd come looking to us because we were deemed to be dominant position, holding strong market share, probably 20, 25% market share. Um, They needed to get footprint. They're owned by private equity. Private equity is not gonna do a greenfield setup. They go by acquisition. So um, I think definitely the people that we were known to them or I was known to them, The products that we sell, the manufacturers that we sell, they're
1: very similar in both the UK and Ireland. So it was a perfect fit for them. Very good. Very, very fortunate for both of you, it seems like it's been a success story for yourselves. And the business has has grown again since the acquisition. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I see and I'm aware you provide training for your, your customers. Is that strange in your marketplace? And what's the purpose of that or how big a portion of your business is that? Uh, so, it's a small portion of our business, it's probably
0: less than 10%. But it's not abnormal, it's normal. I, think, I suppose people in our space, you know, we sell technical products to, to lab technicians, to scientists. So, the product needs support. Uh, you know, they're running instrumentation, they're running software. There's lots of different chemical conditions going on, and these lab t- technicians need to be trained, shown how to use the systems, how to use the software how to use the consumables, what happens if it goes wrong. There's lots of method development, lots of troubleshooting. So we offer all
1: kinds of courses in method development troubleshooting. Very good. So you're really a good technical reference point and support for your for your yeah. customers as well. You're not just box shifting.
0: Yeah, no, everything's very, you know, the, the marketplace, it's compliant, validations key, calibrations key, GMP, FDA regulations. You're all in a controlled environment. The users have to be trained so you know you can't allow an untrained user to run a uh, 100,000 pound instrument and produce results if they don't know what they're doing
1: right. yeah very good uh, looking back and you're by no means finished your career but to date what's been the your greatest career achievement um so as a, I suppose i've
0: always been a salesman you know I had a role as a european sales director and uh, i was responsible for the biopharma uh, customers across europe and one of the big customers was Sanofi Aventus. So we spent a couple of years, you know, working with them, negotiating with them. And uh, you know, it was a tens of million dollar transaction over three years where we became the preferred supplier to
1: Sanofi. Nice. So that was my single biggest uh, transaction. And dare I ask, back in that time and that environment, was that a six months negotiation process to secure or Oh, a bit longer, probably six to 12 months. Yeah, negotiating
0: with, with French guys, German guys and procurement guys. Yeah. Takes a lot of patience. Yeah,
1: definitely. Okay, and an application. That, yeah. Uh, very good, well done. Uh, looking back on your career, uh, what advice would you now give your 18-year-old self starting off as that laboratory technician or indeed before that? Or what would you, What advice could you give?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I suppose, yeah, li- you know, absorb, listen, learn, take in the stuff, become, you know, as knowledgeable as you can about whatever it is you're interested in. You know, that was my thing. I always felt uh, I was as good as anybody about the technique. I was as good as anybody in the competition. You know, make sure you know your competition, absorb all the information, get the qualifications done, and then, you know, watch and learn. Okay. I also, I we, wouldn't we touch it, but also having a mentor was also, you know, if you if you see somebody that you know you, you like and respect right. and they're good, watch them, listen, uh, learn. And did
1: you find a mentor?
0: I, I did have a, um, yeah, in Ireland I did. I had the business owner. In Ireland, when I first started, there was a guy was a private company, entrepreneurial, very good guy. You know, lots of good ideas, lots of good vision.
1: And you learned from learned him. from him. Yeah. yeah, definitely, it's brilliant to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's brilliant to. Do. And looking back, you only realise that perhaps. Yeah, you don't. Then. When you're younger, you don't realise it. No. But if, you know, no. it's. Uh, yeah. He,
0: he used to say to me, "You know, you, you've uh, two years and one month Yeah, and so you use them in proportion." <laughs> yeah. What's your mentor's name? Uh, so it's a guy called Joe Rowley. He was the kind of one of the principals and founders of AGB, the company that. First hired me when it came to Ireland. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. So AGB is a huge company now. And Joe was a founder of that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not that brand's gone now because they were acquired by the global lab supply we talked about earlier on. Okay. So they, that brand's gone. The company is there, right. um, but they've relocated, they've expanded, and they're long gone. That was back in 2005 or six.
1: Right. What did you learn from that mentor? What things stick out in your mind now, 20, 30 years on?
0: Um well, he, he was very good at, at um, building relationships with, with the suppliers and manufacturers and customers. Uh, he was good at both the business and the social aspect of it. You know, he understood that people had personal lives as well as business lives and uh, you know he, 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 he had got, he was a scientist, so he knew he knew a lot about technology and science, but he also knew a lot about the industry and the marketplace. So that was his whole thing, being able to, you know, see opportunities, identify opportunities with the customers and then, you know, realize that there was a a product opportunity and we we used to travel to the US and we used to go to Germany and all these trade shows around the world to identify, looking for products that would fit the pharmaceutical market in Ireland. And we'd go and set up shop and attract these manufacturers to to come and do business with us and distribute for them in the Irish market. So a a lot of that whole... Building relationships with suppliers and customers, identifying products, identifying markets—that's
1: that's what stuck with me. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic uh, to to learn as a young person. You you look at these old people, and what would they know? But in fact, they've life experiences, career experience, a lot. Very very good. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you're currently facing?
0: Yeah, so I suppose they call it integration. Uh, these. Um, PEs or venture capital guys, you know, they like they make an acquisition. And now you've got to integrate that acquisition into their business. So we're, you know, we're a smaller company going into a larger company. So uh, we've got to get on their IT systems, in their finance systems, make sure payroll is right, HR is right, pensions are right. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we use a, a CRM system, which is different to theirs. So all of the commercial customer knowledge, customer information, we've got to kind of get that. Organised and migrated into their system, so that you need a lot of IT support, and you know, so with that, that's kind of distracting,
1: consuming, but it's you, you got to get through it. You've hit on something very interesting there. You, you, you've mentioned several times relationships, right? Looking back over the last two years, so much has gone virtual, and in in the your company's role selling to customers, uh, do you feel that relationships have been weakened, or indeed? Are you putting an ethos back into business, get out there and meet the customers or what's, what's happening?
0: Yeah, we, I suppose we've been able to get through using teams and all the rest of it, but we're, you know, there's a lot of touch and feel to our products. You've got to get in front of people and yeah, we are trying to aggressively get that activity back. I mean, it it didn't, it didn't negatively impact because the customer also expect you to just deal with them over the, the computer, um, and now it's starting to open up. We're
1: only literally, we're probably only at 30, 40% of the call rate face-to-face. But you see it, and, and as a policy, you'd see that it's coming back and that's critical to to the business.
0: Yeah. You would, you would ask yourself questions, though. Do I need all these reps with these company cars and phones and laptops? Sure, sure. And my business didn't tank. Yeah. So you're starting to question yourself, is it a different model? Is it a different business model? Is it a different type of person that can actually... But physically, if you've got a product, you can't touch the product and no, s- not see the product and yeah. see the quality of a product. Sure.
1: I think the danger would be if you if you try to change policy and it didn't work out in an 18 months time, you said this is wrong. You may never recover it. So get it back.
0: Yeah, it's it's always more difficult to recover it. Yeah.
1: So, again, going back to the two years and COVID, uh, had you challenges there specifically to supply chain or, you know, it, it seems that you, you had sufficient product to supply our customers had you any supply chain problems
0: no no i think uh our supply partners they i mean they their business went through the roof because everybody was buying online as you know so i don't think the supply chain getting product into ireland was not the problem okay. we had more of a problem with brexit right. than we did with uh covert okay. and okay. the change in restrictions for even products that we didn't buy in the uk were actually coming from Germany, but they through, tr- the through the UK. Yeah. So the administrative paperwork side and the extra little bit of cost and time, that slowed us a bit. Sure. Um, but we we stocked up the month before and made sure we had, you right. know, kind of get yeah, us I through that window.
1: Brexit has been a total disaster for an awful lot of companies in Ireland. And, you know, it's added uh, three months stock holding onto, an, and many of our clients yeah. added a month on, six weeks on to the supply chain. It's been a very, yeah. very challenging time. And I think yeah. the Irish economy has done really well uh, to get over this. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, indeed, in COVID, nearly everybody now is a household expert in your sector, you know, mm. uh, and knows the names of all these different companies. Uh, but again, it's been an interesting two years. Yeah. Speaking of people, and we mentioned Damon and Suzanne, and there's James and a few other key people there. Have you managed to retain everybody who who was with Apex?
0: Yeah, yeah, nobody's... Nobody's moved on that's all, fantastic. all that, yeah. That's testimony to the transition. So that's, yeah. that's right. Really yeah, and it's great. important part. I think that's where you're, when you're a business owner, like that whole, you know, the loyalty to the people you have, you want to make sure that they're all secured
1: and safe and that they've got longevity in, in the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And personally, you, you're slotting into the larger type organization again. You're finding that okay.
0: Yeah, it's okay. It's, um, you know, the financial rhythm. And the reporting and their their um, demand for data and information is much higher. You know, as a private business guy, deadlines, yeah. You know, and um, private business guys, you don't worry about you know day to day, week to week. But these guys, margin analysis, data, finance, and banking—all you know—they're you know, they, consumed by it because they're, they're under again, I suppose, pressure
1: from their PE and their. And would you have a strict reporting deadline? Is it three three day month end close or five or seven month end? Yeah, everything's got to be you know. There's a day three, a
0: day five, a day 7 You know, everything's got to be closed out by day six or seven for the previous month. But you're now in
1: the rhythm of it. You're used. You're getting there. Yeah, Yeah. good. Two years on. That's pretty good. Gone. That's pretty good. Gone. If you weren't in your current role, uh, where would you like to be? Or indeed, maybe looking at the last couple of years of your of your career let's say is there anything you'd like to tick a box off and try uh, having been successful already on the in the bio sector
0: yeah, i haven't thought a lot about it i've thought of, a bit about property development right. you know right. maybe i've interested in i've had a bit of property over the years i'm interested in it or I'm, i've thought about being a car salesman so did I. <laughs> <laughs> because some of the car salesmen, yeah, yeah. I look at them, I meet them, and I think, "Geez,
1: absolutely, you guys yeah, need yeah. a few lessons, you know. Sure. Having bought a new car during COVID, and having been handed the key, and said, there's the manual, and uh, you can go online and have a look at the manual, which, give me a shout if you're stuck. And this was an electric car, first time driving one. It was certainly an experience. No, I think, I think the quality of the sales guys in, in cashier rooms homes is not good. Okay. I, I think they'll be unemployed until about October because it seems there's no cars left to sell in Ireland at the moment. Well, very few new cars, you know, it's very difficult to get it. Look, Andy Pepper, thank you very, very much for this afternoon. Thank you. If you want to learn a little more about garden, you can go to gardenaccountants.ie where you'll learn about everything that we can do. If you're enjoying the Garden Irish Business Podcast, please do share it with your friends and colleagues And don't forget to subscribe, like and review wherever you are listening. Thanks for listening. Until next time.